Try it again. Good morning. Good morning. All right. Thank you, Lawrence family, or Lawrence band. I don't know what y'all go by. Uh, so full, disc- uh, full discretion, it's uh, my job to um, schedule worship and plan out worship for the month. And usually um, we, I, I pride myself in at least giving people a decent amount of heads up and just incomplete miscommunication on my part. Uh, I had to go to Lawrence. I know you got a lot going on. Now you got a new baby. Are you free next Sunday to leave work? <laughs> uh, and uh, with true servant heart, uh, they said yes, and, and they've led us well today. So I'm thankful for that. Thank you uh, for living out the songs um, that you lead us in. So today, if you want to turn to Luke 10, uh, verses 25 through 37, that's where we're going to camp out today. Um, we're going to uh, continue and really dive into our, our second week in our parable series. Uh, so we just closed out prayer two weeks ago, and through the, for the summer, um, we're going to look through eight separate parables um, where Christ was teaching his, uh, his disciples, teaching his followers, trying to explain them the gospel of Christ, trying to explain what it is to live out uh, the way of Christianity um, and to be follower, followers of the one true God. Last week we kind of did an overview of what parables are uh, and what they mean and why Christ used them. Um, parables, in, in a nutshell, are just object lessons. They're, they're, they're stories with, with points and, and they, they either they strike a, a moral or a, a spiritual lesson um, that relates to, to the people that are hearing it. And it, it, the beautiful thing about Scripture is it relates to the crowd um, that Christ is speaking to in, in the first time of hearing these parables, but they're equally as relatable and applicable uh, to us in 2019. That's the beautiful uh, fact of Scripture and how it's just breathed out um, by God. And, and the, the disciples asked Christ last week, why are you talking in parables? And I find myself doing that the same uh, when I read the Gospels. When I, when I hear the Gospels and I hear all of this, uh, the parables and the talk, um, it, to me, I, I do the same thing. I get impatient like the disciples get impatient. And I say, why didn't you just scream from the mountaintops that I am Jesus Christ Lord and Savior, Son of the one true God, I came to heal you, and then continue to do miraculous works that garner an audience, that make people uh, complete in all of your power and will, where they they are either in love or in fear, not questioning who you are. And in a nutshell, that's what the that's what the disciples were doing last week, and they said pretty much, hey, get to the point. Why don't you just tell everyone who you are, what you're here to do, and then wow them with miracles? But that's the problem with humanity. We see and we don't perceive. We hear, we don't understand, we become dull because if we attach our faith to miracles or we attach our faith to this just big show of power, then that's all our faith will ever be. And if the miracle's not right in front of our eyes or if the big showiness or this big um, planned out demonstration isn't before us, then we become dull. And Christ knew that. Christ knew that that faith would come through the seeing of miracles, but true understanding, lasting faith that would that would turn the world upside down for the kingdom of Christ really came through understanding. You had to understand what Christ was doing. He wasn't just going to be one simple object lesson after the other. He did use those. He did use miracles. He did use his powers. But he never relied solely on the awe factor. 
because he knew, just like we know today, if I rely as a teacher on the awe factor, if this is all about lasers and, and fog machines and backflips, then you're going to get used to lasers, fog machines, and backflips. And at some point, one backflip's not going to be good enough. And you're going to want two, and you're going to want three, and you're going to want more and more pomp and circumstance. And we're going to get away from the Word. We're going to get away from the truth, and you are going to be beholden to whatever I can do to keep your attention for 25 minutes. And that's what Christ knew. Christ knew that for us to plant the seed of faith into the believer's hearts, for us to, to teach and to understand, he had to lead them to the water. He had to lead them to eternal truth. And that's what he does through parables. A lot of these parables are so applicable in 2019. And a lot of these parables point us to truth and they allow us to have true understanding. Yes, there is some academic knowledge when you study the Bible, but if it just stays academic, you've missed the point. Real studying of God's Word, real pouring into the truth should have faithful understanding. Just academic knowledge for the sake of academic knowledge is exactly where Satan wants you. Satan wants you, so our, our salvation is secure. Once you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that can never be changed. That can never be taken away from you. That's, Satan knows that. So if you're a follower of Christ and you've already accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and, save, and Satan can't take that away, his next step is just for you to hold up all this information. The worst thing you can do is become a contagious Christian because faith begots faith. If your faith is lived out, it's contagious. If you have the knowledge of the one true God, you will spew it out from your pores, and Satan knows that. So what he wants you to do is learn these things about Jesus Christ. Come on Sunday mornings and then go back to the way you live and tell no one about it. There was an atheist being interviewed on Dateline, and she said... Uh, or, or the, the, the interviewer said, why do you believe in atheism? Why do you cling to atheism and not Christianity when, when, you, when it spoke to you? And, they, and she said, if Christianity was true and Jesus could do the things he said, I don't think Christians would stop talking about it and no one's telling me anything. And that's a scary truth. And that's why we dive into the parable. That's why we dive into the teaching of God's word because it never can be lip service. It can never just be words. What Christ taught us, he wanted us to know for intentionality. He knew what we would need in our daily life. He knew what we would need to spread the gospel of Christ. And that's what we're going to do today. So this week we're going to look at the Good Samaritan. It's maybe one of the most popular parables in the Bible. Um, it actually reflects... Uh, uh, laws in our nation and country. All 50 states have what you call a Good Samaritan law in some form or fashion, which pretty, me pretty much means if you come upon a situation where someone is in peril or about to die and you just say, well, that's unfortunate, and you keep going, uh, in some states, varying of what you can do, you can be held responsible. It's called the Good Samaritan law. They saw this parable and said, that's a really good idea of how to run a country, and they implemented the state and federal law. That's how you know we serve a sovereign God. And they weren't even really unique in their naming it. They just call it the Good Samaritan Law. So, um, if you would, turn to Luke chapter 10, verses 25. It's going to be behind us. If you would stand in reverence of God's holy word, I'm going to read it out loud. There should be a Bible close to you if you want to follow along with me. Verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is it written in the law? How do you read it? Verse 27, he said, He answered, You shall love your Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, But who is my neighbor? 
And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and he saw him and passed on the other side. So likewise a Levite went and came to the place and saw him and passed on the other side. Verse 3, 3. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and he saw him, and he had compassion. He went to him and bound his wounds and poured oil and wine. Then he set uh, him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will pay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Verse 37, he said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, You go do likewise. Amen. You may be seated. Let me pray over us. And we're going to dive in. God, thank you for your teachings. Thank you for your truth. God, I pray for the next few minutes that whatever uh, would distract us or hold captive our heart, that you would free us from that, that we may solely focus on your word, your teaching for your way, that we may see people as you see them, but that we may live like you want us to live, that we may study your word and apply your word. God, I pray all things in your holy name. Amen. All right, so this is a really popular sermon. This is, uh, this is probably a story um, that whether you grew up in the church, this is your first time in the church, or, or if you just went and talked to someone who had never actually been in the church, they would still have some understanding of the Good Samaritan because it's just that popular of the story. But it's important for us to know the truth and not just the gist of the story. So we're going to dive in and try to pull some stuff out and then apply it as, as God has called us to do so. So we see at the very beginning, Christ is teaching. He is he's teaching about um, uh, how many times to forgive. He's teaching about the Lord's Prayer in the next chapter that we went through. And he's, he's doing all this kind of stuff to the masses and to the disciples, trying to impart wisdom, trying to show them the true gospel, and trying to show them how to live a manner of life according to to the call of God. And a lawyer steps up and he says, hey, he wants to test God. So this lawyer is not what we think of a lawyer. He's not like a corporate law or a criminal lawyer. He is an Old Testament lawyer. This is, this is someone who is astute in Scripture. He is a Pharisee or a, or a Sadducee of some sort. And he wants to test Christ. He wants to put him to the test and say, if you really are the Messiah, then you should be astute in Old Testament law. And you should, more importantly, uh, be astute in the application of Old Testament law when it comes to everyday situations. So he tests the law and says, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So inter inherit eternal life is translated to enter the kingdom of heaven in this particular passage. So what he is asking him is, how do I get saved? How do I get to heaven? How do I not go to hell? Right? How do I, how do I embody the Old Testament scriptures? But how do those scriptures translate to me walking to the throne of God? And Christ in his just amazing ability to teach um, really reverses it in like almost a syncretic teaching method of saying, no, no, you tell me what the scriptures say. You're a lawyer. You're astute. Um, you tell me what the scriptures tell you. And the lawyer points him to the Shema, to Deuteronomy uh, 6.9, where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love your Lord, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. And so what he's saying is, yes, I know the, mar the marching cry 
like of Israel. I know the Shema. I live my life by the Shema. But then he even adds in um, something separate from the Shema, but also uh, attributed to the Shema, which is love uh, others as your neighbor. Treat other people with kindness. You shall love God, but the love of God shall point you to love man. Um, this is our march in Christ. So what, what is our, our mission statement at Trinity Church? Love God. Love, Others. make disciples. I mean, you, you all knew it, and you're still just like, love God. Others are cool. I like disciples. We'll work on it. I mean, I'm not, like I said, I'm, I really have made a stand now, but I can't get lasers, a smoke machine, or a backflip. But y'all need something to jazz you up. And another shot. Yeah. At first I said, can I get a shot? I was like... We're pretty progressive. That's a hard pass. Um, no. Love. God. Love. Others. Make. Disciples. All right. Now you got me completely off my game. Get back. Because um, I don't think that's really a sign of your heart, but mine. Uh, you clearly just want another chance, and I'm thinking you're just trying to get a real spirit. Um, so let's move on. We will absolutely edit that. And we'll start now. So he says, I know what the scriptures say. I know the marching cry of Israel. Uh, love God, love others um, with all our heart, soul, and might and strength. Everything that we have embodies the love of God. And through that love of God, I know I should treat others like my neighbor. And Christ says, yes, that's exactly true. You're the, the nail on the head. Those are the, those are the true scriptures. In other areas, and other gospels, Christ has asked, what is the most important commandments? And he points them back to the Shema again. A lot of the teachings of Christ get pointed back to the Shema because the Shema is what guides our life. The, the idea that loving our one true God will, will then dictate everything else we do is what we call biblical truth. And that truth leads us to love others. But again, we see that in verse 29, um, which even more uh, shows the testing of God when you see him say, but the lawyer, but he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, but who is my neighbor? And, and I want, we're going to walk through different avenues and different characters of this story. And I can't help but uh, put on my heart that a lot of people, when you hear a story, or when you hear, or when I hear a story, and when y'all hear a story, you, you identify with some character, right? Whether whatever show you're watching, whatever movie you're watching, you self-identify with something and you relate it to yourself. That's just the beauty of, that's why movies are made, that's why shows are made, that's why people become diehard fans uh, of shows, is because of the ability to relate to so when you hear the story, you've probably already related to something. Most of you, because you know it's church, you're like, I'm going to relate myself to the good. I'm the Samaritan in this story because I don't want to be the priest of Levi. That doesn't work out. But but for me, too often we find ourselves being the lawyer. We're going to test God. When we get the answer we don't like, we're going to try to to justify ourselves. We're going to justify why we don't live that way. So in this stance, the lawyer is saying, Who's my neighbor? I have two literal neighbors from my house. I have adjacent neighbors. They're my neighbors. I will be nice to them. That seems like a pretty low bar. I can be nice, give or take how many people live in those families. You're talking a baker's dozen of people you got to be nice to, and then you move on throughout your life praising God. And, and what he does, he, he instantly, instead of saying, no, 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 your neighbor's everybody, or no, 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 this is what we mean, he, he, he hits the, the, the audience of Jewish leaders and lawyers and teachers in the heart with the parable of the Good Samaritan. And he starts and he says, a man was robbed and left for dead. 
So this man, apart from any intervention, has been robbed, has been stripped, and will die soon. He's going to die bad, he's going to die slow, because it's half dead, right? You don't generally come back from being half dead without intervention of medical treatment, intervention of someone taking care of you. So he is left, they didn't have even the common courtesy to do anything quick. They're just going to say, die of your own, like, die of exposure. This was a very commonly traveled road from Jericho to Jerusalem, um, and it was very dangerous at this time. And, and he goes, he was robbed, and he's laying in a ditch waiting uh, to die. So a priest comes by, and in this, in this culture, in this day and age, there's no one more important to the Jewish nation than their priests. Um, they made up the laws, they made up the teachings, they made up the worship, they helped you atone for your sin, um, they showed you the ways of the, the, the Torah, they showed you the ways of the law. You didn't know how to live as the nation of Israel unless the priest showed you how to live. So the priest is the highest of the subculture, this is the highest of, of the, the caste system that is Israel, this is the very top. He was a descendant from Aaron, he, he had duties inside of the temple. So this priest walked by, sees this person half dead, and stays on the other side. Uh, for a lot of reasons. One, most likely selfishness, but two, um, uh, he just probably didn't want to hit, like he's probably bleeding, he's probably dirty. If he touched it, he becomes ceremonially unclean for seven days. He's a priest. He probably justified it, right? We all justify what we do as sin. We all justify our wrongdoings as it's okay because I'm looking at it through this lens. And most likely this priest said, I can't become ceremonially unclean. The nation of Israel needs me. So I'm going to keep on going. Then a Levite comes by. So a Levite's not a priest, but it does come from the tribe of Levi. And their job is to assist the priests. Their job is to help the priests in whatever they need. Uh, these would be like, a, I don't know, I have a better example, but elders and deacons or whatever in the church. These people weren't the people, but they assisted the people, and they were held in high regard. Um, they are blessed and, and, and promised uh, a lot of things throughout the Old Testament. The nation of Israel through the tribe of Levi is given a lot of things. And again, looks over, sees a half-dead person, and probably for exact same reasons, if I deal with this person, I may be late to... Uh, I may be late to uh, our worship service. I may be get, become ceremonially unclean. Or maybe I just don't want to. So you pass on the other side. And then, then comes a Samaritan. And what's important for this story, and what's important that you understand, is everyone that's hearing this story is a Jew. Everyone that, uh, and, and a Jew in what you'd call right order, or, or a, a pure Jew, which means they come uh, uh, from the nation of, of Levi or Judah, or, or, or part of the remnant uh, of nation of Israel. And what they understand Sumerians to be is half-Jews. Sumerians were more hated than any other culture or race in, in the common world, uh, according to Jews, because, yes, there were people they didn't like that were pagans, but they were pagans because God didn't bless them with the knowledge of, that the nation of Israel had, or didn't bless them with prophets, or didn't bless them with the Old Testament, didn't bless them with the kings of David, and so, so they didn't like them, they understood that they weren't uh, the same uh, in, in ways of religion, or understanding, or teaching, but it was almost like, we don't like you, but we pity you. But the Samaritans um, were a remnant of the nation of Israel that when they were filled, when they fell captive to the Assyrians, um, and the Assyrians uh, took a lot of the, the, the Jewish people up to Assyria, uh, and then when they got their freedom, um, uh, some of the Jews actually intermarried with the Assyrians. They became half Gentile, half Jews, and what the, the nation of Israel considered to be just half-bred. 
They began, like, they had their own uh, religious systems. They had their own version of the Torah. They had their own temple. They had their own high priest. So this is racism that we can't even quite understand because you hated the race of Samaria because they came from you and they diluted and polluted what you believed to be the one true God and what you believed diluted and polluted to be the one true teachings of God. They held a different temple. They held a different high priest. So they're almost mocking who you are. So the hatred here is bubbling forward. They hated the race. They hated their religion. They hated everything about them. The Samaritan themselves, if a Jewish person ran into a Samaritan just in happenstance, they instantly became ceremonially unclean. Hear that out. Just being around this person made them unable to enter the temple to worship. That's how much the nation of Israel hated the Samaritan. And what I love about Jesus Christ is he understands our selfishness and our desire to be the heroes. So who he made the hero in this story is the person this group hates the most. The person that this group loathes and think isn't worth to hold their donkey isn't worth to do. They couldn't even do menial jobs or slave labor in the nation of Israel because they were hated so much. And instantly, they're the hero in this story. The Samaritan comes in, sees the need uh, of the fallen person. sees the, 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 He knows that without intervention, this person is going to die. So the hated stopped and showed love. And then begrudgingly, Christ says, no, begrudgingly, he, 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 or sorry, uh, but begrudgingly, the lawyer then comes back and has to understand and, and tell Christ that, yes, the only person here that was neighborly, the only person here that actually showed love was the Samaritan. And in verse 37, he won't even say Samaritan. He says the one who showed mercy. He still understood the hatred that was true. And then Christ says, go do likewise. Go do act. So this lawyer that came in with, with pomp and, and, and big chested and said, I understand Old Testament law, I understand the Shema, I've memorized the Shema, I've memorized the Torah, I know everything about it, I know how to apply it, I'm testing you, yes, I should love God, and yes, I should love my neighbors, but who is my neighbors? And he, he has this big story, and this whole thing is a test, this whole thing is a self-justification, and Christ is sitting with the truth, and then makes him look him in the eye and say, I'm using your scripture that you brought up, I'm using your justifications that you brought up to point you to the truth that you can't bear, and I'm making the person that you hate most in this life the hero of this story, so you will understand biblical truth. So why this lesson? Why this parable? Yeah, we know that we're supposed to love God, and we're supposed to love others, and we, have, we know through the teaching of our mission statement, love God, love others, make disciples, that loving God and loving others are inseparable. You cannot... Um, love God without then going on to love others. And at the same time, if you love God but say, I just can't love others, then you don't love God. Because you can't say you love God and then not do anything He tells you to do. You can't love others well until you understand the love of God because He invented it. And that's really what He's showing us today in this parable. Our neighbors are others. Who is your neighbor? It's simple. Anyone that's not you. That's why we don't even say love neighbors. Because that term culturally can get confused. We know that our neighbors in 2019 are our literal neighbors in our, in our street. That didn't exist back then. So when he's saying neighbors, he's saying love people that aren't yourself. That's why in 2019, instead of us saying love other or neighbors, we use others just so we can wipe away the cultural confusion. 
We see in Matthew 22, Christ teaching us that you need to love others as yourself, which is a high bar because Christ knows that we are a selfish people. And for us to love others as much as we love ourselves is true love. That the idea that I would put the needs of someone else above my own uh, is, is hard to live out on a daily basis. One of the things I have inscripted on my body is no greater love than he who lays down his life for a friend. And I've seen that played out a few times. I've been in some scenarios where I, I had to come to grips with the fact that I may not come home and because of the ultimate love of other peoples, I got to go home and, and hug my wife. And I know that person loves me because he was willing to put his own life in the way to make sure that, that we, we got to go home. Like that, That's true and pure love that you don't get to experience a lot. You don't have to question that. If someone's willing to love them, you're, you, more than they love themselves, and then put that to the test, I never have to wonder... If Justin Berg or Jeremy Epperson or Cole Hervey, guys that you don't know, but guys that I'm here because they decided to be, um, to show true love, I understand that love. That's what Christ is trying to impart to you. If you love someone more than yourself, you will do anything for them. You will love them more than you can comprehend. But you can't do that until you understand the love of God. The imagery of a Samaritan in this story is explicitly intentional. He's trying to make them understand the thing you hate is blinding you for love. You can't love others. I can't love you. Even no matter how much I, I genuinely think I love you, if there's hatred in my heart for a subsection of humanity. Because what he's saying is you misunderstand, the, you misunderstand what I'm telling you to do. You can say, no, I love Brian Davis. Love him. Do anything for him. Step, step in front of a bullet for him. I mean, I absolutely hate these other people that God created. Hate them. Can't stand them. Don't even want to touch them. But I, I love Brian Davis. And what Christ is saying is, then you don't love Brian Davis because you don't understand love. You don't understand what I've called you to do if you think there's something in you, the way, the way you look, the way you dress, the way you vote, the way you sing, the way you pray, if there's something in you that you think is superior to others, then you don't understand love. The beautiful about supremacy is that it is completely destroyed by the gospel of Christ. There is, there is nothing that you can hold yourself to be supreme to others that the gospel of Christ doesn't destroy. Because what he's saying is it's not about you. It's not about your thoughts. It's not about your ways. It's not the ability that you have. It's not your skin. It's not your nationality. It's not your heritage. None of that is important other than the fact that you're a child of God. And yes, you're, I'm not trying to strip you of your uniqueness. That is also emboldened in you through Christ Jesus. He made you with intentionality. He made you with, with a purpose and beauty. But the thing that binds us together is stronger than anything that could ever tear us apart and that's the love of God Amen. right now if you have a neighbor that you're say you're 35 with two kids and married to a, a beautiful girl and your neighbor is 35 with two kids and married to a beautiful girl but that neighbor is not a believer you having the love of God have more in common with an Assyrian Christian in the Middle East than you do have in common with your neighbor because what you have in common is the love of God. It defies culture, it defies boundaries, it defies borders because the love of God transcends all. And we've lost the ability to disagree with love. 
That's some of the problem. I, I have no way to disagree with you in love and respect in 2019. We don't understand it. We can't do it. Um, I, I, it's impossible for us to have different views. Not us in this room, but I'm talking about America. I can't have a different view, whether it be political, whether it be culture, whether it be racial. Whatever different view I have, we are now at odds and at war. Because there's no way to say I disagree and I still love. Because we've, we've lost the complete ability to say, really, your political views are your political views. I may agree with them or don't, but at the end of the day, we're, we're child of God. Like, that's what, that's what brings us together. I'm not going to argue with you about something that is political in nature, because if you think the answer to this, you think that the answer that, that this country needs is going to come from a Democrat or a Republican, you're hot. This, this nation doesn't need another political hero who needs the love of Jesus Christ. And the second you put your, your party affiliation, your racial affiliation, your economic affiliation apart from, uh, separate from the love of God, you've already stepped out into failure. You've already separated yourself. You've already put yourself in a situation where Satan wants you. He's going to use it to divide. He's going to use it to destroy. Because what you see in this story is a bunch of Jews thinking they have everything figured out. And what Christ is saying, you can memorize scripture all day. But until you apply it to your life, you just know words. And what, 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 what the story shows us is that the love of God is for all and is shown to all. Because sin robbed us and left us for dead in a gutter. Christ stopped, showed love, and saved us. We are the person left for dead. We were left, sin killed us, sin stripped us, sin beat us, and caused us to die. And Christ came along the road, stopped, and saved us. So we don't love just simply because it's a commandment. We love because we were loved. We love because we know what the word means because we are child of God. We understand that one day God will call us home and we will sit at the throne of Christ. And if you understand that, but you fail to share that, then you don't understand that. Because that is the truth that this city needs. That's the truth that this country needs. This story ultimately deals with heart issues, right? Like the, the hatred and racism that we see in this story, the hatred and racism uh, that you see uh, in today's climate and world has nothing to do in, other than the heart. The heart. The heart is hard. The heart doesn't understand. The heart isn't full of Jesus Christ. So I pray today that we're able to take the teachings of God, the, the stories and the parables of God, and apply them. And some of that's going to have to be just self-reflective. You need to understand who you are in this story. You may be the priest. You may be the lawyer who just knows Scripture but can't apply it to save his life. This, this, this lawyer could probably out-exegete me. This lawyer could probably uh, out He absolutely could out-memorize me in Scripture. But all he's doing is testing God, and when he gets the answer he doesn't like, he's going to try to justify it with, like, who, who's my neighbor? I mean, that can be nice to some people. I'm nice to all the Jews. Right? So I pray that the truth of God pours over us today. That we understand love. That we understand um, that we understand love because we were loved. And, and that, that sin robbed us all, but because of Christ's saving grace. We get to stand and proclaim truth every day. Let me pray over us and we're going to sing one more song. God, thank you for today. Thank you for your parable of the Good Samaritan. Thank you for the truth that it is. Thank you for how it hits us in our heart in 2019. That
they're, they're, it's so easy to hate people. It's so easy to judge them. It's so easy to gossip about them. It's so easy to not care truly where they're at or what they're going through. But I pray that all of that, that that's the ways of the world. I pray that that would be ripped from our hearts and that we would stop and that we would love. We would, we would say, hey, all I know is I want to live the way Christ lives. I want to see the way Christ saw and I want to, to, to ultimately stand in the presence of Christ basking in His glory and Him saying, well done, good and faithful servant. I pray all things in your name. Amen.